Son, wait, you don't have to do this. Go away, Kate. I want to know about your research. Son, what happens to pregnant women? You're pregnant. Are you sure? How do you know? I asked you a question. Everyone else might be all right with you washing your clothes and eating our food. I want to know what's going on. I want answers. What are you people doing? Why are you taking children? What happens to pregnant women on this island? What happens They die. They all die. Sorry, that's just been stuck in my head for about a week, and I just had to get that out, Mike. Is that DJ DOC DJ now? DOC. Just the, <laughs> the popular knockoff of, of DJ Dom, mm-hmm. like the sort of like an I wouldn't say West Coast East Coast rivalry, more like a Western Eastern rivalry. As we talk about Korea today, he is uh, the fertility DJ. DJ DOC. Oh, yes. Okay, exactly. Like, hey, I'm gonna spin you a rhyme while I tell you what's going on with your baby. And Josh, let me let me be the first to to tell you. 행복한 12월. That means happy December in my native tongue of Korean. Happy December, Mike. I can't even believe it. We're, we're almost we're almost through. You know. Yeah, I mean we're we are at, to to use a lost term, the beginning of the end for 2020. Oh, well, we're still several weeks away from the beginning of the end, the episode of Lost, but we are in the home stretch here of season three, as we've been saying for a while, and I think that this is the last like you know, more closer to middle of the road episode that we're getting before we really go full throttle starting next week until the mm-hmm. until the finish. So uh, exciting times here on the Lost Podcast, Mike Bloom. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I cannot believe that we've gone here. You know, season three has been such an eventful season in so many ways. And this is an eventful episode, uh, you know, even if, like you said, it is not nearly as bombastic as what is to come. But what is really what I took note of, Josh, actually doing my research on on Lostpedia, my due diligence like I do every week. Apparently, this is the final episode in Lost that really uh, has a flashback that focuses on someone from 815 before the plane crash and does it in like one continuous stream of events. Like, of course, like Greatest Hits and Cabin Fever was more of a, a montage of events for the lives of Charlie and Locke, respectively. But this is the last time that we are going to have, you know, one character deal with just a stream of events through a single narrative. From here on out, things are going to change in so many ways. Yeah, so that's not like counting like season five, how people come back on a Jira and then we get flashbacks to what happened right before they got on a Jira. Like, that's right. It. We're, ta- we're, ta- we're talking pre crash here. We're talking pre 815. And, and yep. only with 815. Like, well, obviously, we'll have Ben in a couple of weeks. We're going to have Miles all the way and Daniel Faraday beforehand. But this is bidding adieu to what has become such like a key fact. Asset 
of the first three seasons of Lost. And great, we had dalliances, you know, with your maternity leave. We also had Dallin Cerebos. Yeah, exactly, with your flashes before your eyes of, you know, moments they sort of stepped out of the structure. But I think this is a big thing to note, considering where we are going towards barreling down that huge twist at the end of Through the Looking Glass, that this really was the the, the first instance that things were going to change in terms of storytelling, even though it might not outright in this episode. So, that, so there's a lot of asterisks on that, obviously. it's like, uh, Of course, it's very conditional. Yeah, so it's like this is the final 815-centric passenger pre-815 crash flashback episode. Sounds like it's just like a bunch of asterisks way that down but i actually do think that um it it is worth noting because like that is sort of the end of an era uh like it it is we we are in this moment you wouldn't think that of doc uh that we are like in this moment where everything is about to change in in a really big way uh that we are you know so next week we're doing a flashback that's all on island the following week we are doing a flashback that is mostly all on island as well. Then we are doing a flashback that is snapshots of somebody's life. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we are flashing forward. Uh, and that is where the game has changed. So in, in many ways, Mike, we're actually talking about like the last really standard episode of Lost. And this definitely felt like a standard episode of Lost. You know, I do feel like I, I feel like I'm constantly like my horses are hanging just in the far back while I keep putting the carts in front over this podcast. But I do feel like, you know, this, and I know you would, you would disagree about Catch 22, but I do feel like that this final batch of episodes, maybe beginning with like one of us is, is really sort of like, Pretty standard fare, very comparable to like season one in having more hangout episodes, more camp life stuff in comparison to everything that's going on with larger things at hand with the others and everything. And I think having the flashbacks incorporated into that, uh, you know, is part and parcel with that. And I think it's emblematic, like you say, of we do away with that and we're starting to even approach like I don't think there's really going to be that much fluff for lack of a better term, in the next four episodes. There's going to be so much going on with what's coming to them and what's coming for them that they're not who really they're coming going to with, have, Who they're leaving with. Exactly, that we're not really going to have time for things like, you know, Sawyer getting a mixtape for Kate, for example. Right. Uh, I think where we are right now is sort of this mixture of uh, there's, there's a classic feel to it, and by classic I mean sometimes like a little bit of a frozen donkey wheel spinning quality, um, mm-hmm. while also there is this forward momentum. Like, this is going to be the episode where uh, Mikhail is back, so we're really starting to push the ball. Or is he? Or is he? <laughs> we're starting to push the ball down the hill, though, at least of like how Charlie's going to die. We're getting a clearer picture of that. We can talk about that in this episode. Um, there's the urgency of now, like, oh God, son's got to get out of here. This is yeah. not going to be good. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, and I think you know the Ben behind the curtain made a great point in the Discord about this, about how this brings a lot of urgency to not only the last bit of this season, but like the entirety of season four initially from Sun's perspective, but I would say almost Jack and Kate's perspective as well, too, of like, okay, we need to get off the island if only to get this pregnant woman off the island as well. Yeah, so that that's a big piece. And then, of course, the ending of this episode, while it's not as, like, funny uh, as, as the whole truth, um, the ending of this one uh, is really important and, mm-hmm. and drops a huge mythological bombshell on us that at the time was very, uh, discombobulating, uh, <laughs> to use that word again. It, 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 the idea that everyone on 815 is allegedly dead 
that's very charged and certainly doesn't help with the crowd that's, you know, it was purgatory. Essentially now the the bullets being loaded in the gun of they were dead the whole time, even though it's completely erroneous. Yes, but like I think that it's not a nothing deal and obviously to the to the greater world the idea of um of of 815 uh having gone down and being recovered and everyone being dead uh i think is is a really important piece of the story moving forward and it comes here and i've been saying for a while that like doc is probably the episode that i remember remember the least uh mm-hmm. when it comes to comes to lost and now it isn't just because someone paid you a hundred thousand dollars to not remember that could be it could be it's possible that that's what's going on because i gotta say mike after having watched it yeah like is this like a miraculous episode of lost absolutely not but it, i think it's a very good episode of lost and, solid yeah and i i am at this place where like there is a part of me that thinks maybe, and I'm talking to the Quan expert here. You love Jin and Sun. <laughs> I do, I do. So, so we'll, we'll talk it through. But I think maybe this is my favorite Jin and Sun episode. Wow. Yeah, that's that's definitively a hot take. I think a lot of people turn to you know episodes like, uh, or specifically House of the Rising Sun, yeah. or even stuff like G on, which uh, has more of a unique storytelling style. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting considering that you think this is one of the greatest Sun and Jin episodes, considering that in the present timeline, they don't spend the episode together whatsoever. They don't, but that happens a lot when you think about Jin and Sun, to be honest. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, is if we're sort of looking at microcosms of what's the shape of things to come as as it were, having the two of them separate for the entire episode is a, a nice indicator of where essentially the yeah, second half of Lost is going to be. forecasting, right? They're letting us know. They're giving us the signal. So we'll talk about it all. Uh, maybe maybe uh, you can talk me down, or maybe I can talk you up. We'll see how that goes. Uh, either way, before we get into it, let's take a quick second to thank our sponsors for this episode. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows, all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. Mike Bloom, we go forth into the jungle to discuss DOC, written by your guys, Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. It's directed by Fred Toy, who is a great director who directed... I don't want to spoil it, but one of the, the, the most important episodes of Westworld Season 1, certainly, uh, mm. that involves a certain uh, bunker location and somebody mm. revealing themselves to be somewhat different than what we thought uh, them to Jeff, be. Jeff, it doesn't sound like anything to me. It doesn't sound like anything to me either. Uh, although it was, there was this moment when they returned to the staff in this episode, Mike, where I was like, this reminds me a lot of Westworld. And then I yeah. looked and saw who the director was like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that tracks. Yeah, essentially, you know, uh, Delos at a certain point did kind of look like, I think Westworld Season 2, uh, the innards of the Delos Corporation looked a lot like uh, the staff in terms of just being so derelict and torn apart and chaos everywhere. Is the Delos Corporation just the future Dharma initiative? No, I mean, they don't, but they both begin with D. I think that's a tell. I think that's letting you know everything right there. Uh, so let's get into the episode. Uh, before we even begin, are we really not going to talk about how this episode is called DOC, but it doesn't focus on Doc Shepard? Yeah, that's really strange, right? right? They should have saved think- that for Jack. 
Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. Uh, I mean, he also doesn't directly deal with DOC except for this one hot second when <laughs> yeah. he like, he's like, hey, you okay, son? All right, bye. I love this. So the episode begins. Son is back at the garden. It's been a minute. Uh, it's been a long time. And maybe it was because like now that we're in a post uh, expose world when she knows that she was not kidnapped by the other. She's like, oh, it was just stupid Sawyer and Charlie. OK, now I can garden again. Yeah. So she, she's like, I feel safer now. Uh, so she's working on it. Uh, and here comes Jack. Uh, he's, he's got that red cut off again, and it's just a disastrous look. It's so bad. It's, it's, it's really just, I don't think it's working well for his skin, maybe, is, is, is what it is. Weird contrast. Strange, I know, I, strange I, color. Does, does this come back when, when you know, Naomi, he finds his way into Naomi, or Naomi finds his way to him next episode? I can't remember if he's still wearing it. I don't know. I, I think this is another thing that I was paid $100,000 to forget. <laughs> uh, so Jack, he just wants to check in with Son about her pregnancy, and he's asking her all of these questions. And when he asks any bleeding, she gets a little concerned. She's like, why are you asking me about any of this? Uh, and he's like, well, I've been gone for a minute. I just want to make sure you're all right. And she's like, I'm fine. And Jack's like, all right, cool. Then I'll leave. Uh, so Jack was there for like two seconds. Like, I was going to help you with your garden. And he like helped her for like a minute. So yeah, I mean, he's like, oh, there's some aloe here. This also does beg the question because we're going to find out later. And we actually did hear, you know, uh, in the opening clip a bit that Kate's going to reveal what Juliet told them in uh, in one of us. Why did Jack not tell Juliet about Sun, or did he off screen? Hmm. Um. I don't know. I don't know if he if he's told her anything. Maybe there's a certain degree to which he wants to like keep certain aspects of the camp life close to the vest. Maybe there is like the doctor patient confidentiality thing. Maybe what he could have done was go to Sun and be like, "Hey, so I'm not going to tell Juliet, but she is a fertility doctor." Uh, and you know, I I would recommend. I trust her. Do you trust me? That classic line that I like to say. <laughs> right, do you want? Cause- do you want to? Do you want to talk to Juliet? Because maybe she'd be somebody worth talking to. Yeah, because the thing for me is. You know, obviously, you found out a couple of episodes ago that, you know, Claire was in some sort of danger or, like, was some sort of interest to the others, that they were specifically interested in pregnant women. You would think that even to your point, like, a tip-off to the only current pregnant woman on the island right now of, like, hey, just so you know, this is what's happening. Like, yes, people have their reservations about Juliet even after she saved Claire, but I feel like you would want to make that connection. I mean, especially if, if Jack's M.O. right now is to try to ingratiate Juliet into the group. I don't know. It feels counterintuitive to sort of keep her at arm's length and not disclose this information to Sun. I think he, you know, it, he probably needs Sun's permission. Um, mm. would, would be my guess. Is the, but I mean, rules are kind of out the window. Uh, they're on the yeah, island, especially when you know the other person that is part of the part, of, you know, party to that information is someone like Kate, who is just like, yeah, I'm going to spill it later on to, to really just like uh, undercut you, Jack. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, much like uh, last week, things could probably be handled a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, flashback time. Uh, so Sun is on the phone with Jin wearing his sweet Pake Industries jacket, which yeah, I want one. I want what's, it. What's the deal with this, though? Because they said that, what, like, Jin was working on the floor or, or something. So is this, like, some sort of, of uniform that I he's wearing? No I have no idea. I don't understand the whole double shirt thing. I have it no looks, idea, I, I but I, like, I love this, like, Robin's egg color that it's got, and it just looks lovely. Yeah, I mean, it's. A, I mean, maybe it's also like a, a Pake psycho- psychology thing. I have not looked into whether you know uh, coral blue or whatever it was tends to ha- have people fall under your submission even more. But maybe that's what he did subtly with color I like, theory. I like to say Robin's egg, Robin's egg blue, Mike, uh, Robin's bloom. 
they, they're talking to her. I love you madly, they say to each other. And Mike, oh my God. It just, you know, I just love it. I love it. I love it madly. I love that yeah, that's I mean, what they say to each other. Well, and this is also like, uh, you know, when we're tracking the chronology of the Quans, the chronology, uh, this is probably shortly after their wedding, right? Because Jen is in their, like, newly, or not even newly furnished, just new apartment in general. This is obviously pre-Bopo, and it's obviously, obviously pre-Jen becoming under the, the thumb of Mr. Paik. So this is clearly in the still white flower phase of, like, this is a young couple in love. For lack of a better term, the honeymoon phase is still on here. Uh, and so, you know, they, they are very much madly madly in love with each other which informs i think the way that sun is going to really do stuff in this flashback to make sure that that sort of uh visage of happiness and serenity is held up even in the most trying circumstances well i think that this episode shows that there are so many ways in which Jin is you know we've seen on on lost there are many ways in which Jin is willing to to compromise and sell versions of himself out to protect sun Right. Like Mm -hmm. he is we've like we've seen him like beat the crap out of the guy, like effectively become a hitman almost um, on Mr. Pake's behalf and keep that secret from son so as not to break her heart Uh, and that he's doing all of these things for her, for their family, for their marriage, Uh, marriage. Uh, And I think in this episode, you're seeing some of the the things that son is willing to compromise and sacrifice in order to protect Jin. Um, you know, there are ways in which both of these people have withheld really big pieces of information from each other that I think is uh, both like tragic and sad. And yet on a large scale, uh, even if like it's highly dramatized, I think the concept behind it is uh, is well-worn, familiar territory yeah. for married people. Uh, well, I think, and I think also when you're talking about like sacrifice from the level of son's part, that is that is a facet that I feel like we haven't seen yet. Though. Yeah, because like you said, we've definitely seen the Jin side of the equation, specifically from like the ooh in translation of it all, specifically with the the stuff he's had to go through, and you know when he yells at her in that infamous sink scene of like basically like I'm doing this for you, I'm doing this because your father makes me. I think our perception of son at that point is like, well, you know, it's it's the rich girl, poor guy trope, and this is someone who, uh, you know, married. I haven't out of listened social- to that podcast yet. Yeah, no, unfortunately, there are, there are a few episodes in, but don't talk about pickles, because that's when, uh, or I guess whatever the Korean version of pickles is, kimchi. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, we haven't really seen Sun's perspective of, like, meeting someone halfway, like you say, which which is, you know, it's a key concept of not only marriage, but relationships in general, rather romantic or platonic. We haven't really seen that side of it. In fact, we've sort of almost seen the opposite, where Sun partakes in an affair uh, with Jay Lee, because she does not feel like she and Jin are meeting halfway. And now I think we do sort of get a glimpse, and that's why it tracks so beautifully to what is far and away the best scene of the episode, which is going to be the actual DOC itself, which, spoiler alert, we'll, we'll listen to. It tracks really nicely to the whole it's Jin's moment, this idea of personal sacrifice to help sort of, like, protect the safety and just do it for someone that you love. Uh, and I, I think that that was a piece of the equation from Sun that we've been missing up to this point through these flashbacks. And while it is a little bit of, like, a weird storyline in general this this flashback to see this facet of son's character come out i think was was a great way to see this character when admittedly this episode made me realize josh that we son has really had not a lot to do in season three they have not done much with son in season yeah i would say i would say it's second only to claire in terms of like the main 815ers Mm. who really haven't done much trying to think 
Uh, yeah, I think that that's probably right. Yeah, like if you count Rose and Bernard, maybe, but I, I do feel it's like wild, those though, two. Because didn't she she killed someone, man? You know? Yeah, she her two. She killed someone in episode two. It's been a while. Like, though. Slap Sawyer, yeah. and then found out she's pregnant. Those are the big three highlights. Well, she of season also three. set the stakes that Sawyer's not allowed to make nicknames. So like she's had like few appearances, but the impact has been serious. Uh, whether she killed somebody, smacked somebody, or <laughs> robbed someone of their greatest pastime. Oh, that's, that, that's a that's a nice Ding Mary kill. Yeah, right. I think that's good uh anyway so she she hangs up with Jin and she's just sitting on a bench and there's somebody sitting down next to her is like oh is that you in the paper she's like oh yeah that's me i'm son uh and she's like yeah i know who you are do you know who i am let me indicate to you that i am Jin's mother and i was a prostitute son uh and it's like dun, dun, dun. i'm coming back in three days you gotta bring me my money show me yeah. the money Show and me the money is, or everyone's going to know that the, that man who you love madly is the son of a prostitute. Um, unfortunately, did not does not track as well as Son of a Preacher Man in terms of no. uh, a song. <laughs> yeah, that was no. the original version. The interesting thing that I noticed, and this again speaks to, I think we've sort of been noticing the like very Amerocentric lost writer's room and how that can sometimes not be great when talking about other cultures. I did find it interesting that, you know, Jin's mom says, you know, uh, essentially extorts son being like, you must bring me $100,000 because Korea doesn't use dollars. So I'm I'm intrigued as to whether this is like a direct currency exchange yeah. or whether it was like 100,000 won, which I believe is the uh, the currency in Korea. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, she wants a uh, hundred thousand U.S. dollars. Uh, could be, could be. I don't maybe, know. Maybe that's an maybe that's an indicator as to where like Jin's mom is going to run away to once she gets the cash. Like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to futz with any stupid currency exchange when I get to the. I'm airport. surprised it's not a hundred and eight. To be honest with you. Uh, yeah, that is. I mean, maybe if it had been more Hurley centric, but. Listen, this I I am happy with getting this lady as little involved with the plot as usual. I'm fine if she's not affiliated with the numbers whatsoever. Uh, the way that Jin has the best father on Lost, where does his mom rank? I mean, this really is like a yin and yang thing, right? Like we haven't. I mean, I guess when it comes to talking about mothers, we do have Shannon's stepmother. She's it, pretty awful. It's pretty awful, Sabrina Carlisle. Uh, we of course, I've, I I would say Margot Shepard is not a great mother either. But I don't think either one of them would try to extort someone for a hundred thousand dollars, being like, "I'm going to shame your husband. Give I me think, this money, please." I think that I would actually thinking about it a little bit more. I think that Shannon's mom is worse. Uh, would be where I'm at. Because I think that there's also probably a lot of circumstance that if you really wanted to do the deep dive and dig really deep into this character would at least explain why she's doing what she's doing. Must have had a very difficult life. Who knows what kind of traumas she has sustained. Um, I think that Sabrina Carlisle has almost like no justifiable reason for doing any of the terrible things she's doing. Whereas I feel like Jin's mom, I feel like if you pried a little deeper, if not like a justification then at least like like history that explains the present. Um, I say that and still say that she's clearly getting a bunch of LVPs this episode. Yeah, I mean it really is sort of like a game of vengeance. But it's interesting though because Sabrina Carlyle does give her rationale in that episode. But I think in your opinion, it does not measure up to like the the possible fictionalized no. uh, incentive in which this no. lady's pursuing it. Not really. Um, all right, so that's like the thrust of the flashback. And what I like about it is like. In that very first scene in the flashback, it's giving, like, a really uh, distilled, like, story engine for the flashbacks. It's like, mm-hmm. so this is what the flashbacks are going to be yeah, about. Like, it's it's like, like, they drop you in right in. This is the yes. situation. These are the stakes. Yes. Son versus a blackmail, uh, blackmailer. Like, I think, like, that's good. I like that. I, I, I appreciate that we're just, like, getting into that 
right away. Um, let's get into what's going on back on the camping trip as everybody is still freaking out about the Naomi thing. And in fact, how about we listen, Mike? Let's, uh, let's cue up sound number one. Who is she? I have no idea. She seems to know you, dude. She just said your name. I've never seen her before in my life. <coughs> She's waking up. Miss Tommy. She's trying to talk. We should get her some water. Hey, give me a hand. What's she saying? Spanish, dude. What, do you understand her then? She says she's dying. Oh, it's a branch. She must have hit it on the way down. Uh, get up, Mike. We haven't got much in this first aid kit. Steve, there's anything we can use in there. What if this is a rescue? What if she came for us? I mean, she could be okay. We can't let Just go start looking. We'll get Jack. Jack. We have to get to Jack as soon as possible. She could be our way off the island. No, if we move it, it'll make it worse. Will we just let it bleed to death. No, we, we need to bring Jack here. In eight hour walk, one way. Then I'll run. Be out of your mind. It's not safe. It's going to be dark soon. Who knows who's out in this jungle in case you haven't forgotten there are people on this island trying to kill us. Nobody knows we're here. Oops. I realize in retrospect, instead of having my Korean tuned up, I should have studied up on what Spanish, Portuguese, a lot. Russian, Russian, yeah, yeah, the entire, uh, the entire. Another uh, reason Rosetta to keep Stone Naomi on the show, man. Like she's got a lot going on. Yeah, she's the universal translator. Maybe also uh, why they had to get rid of her though, because she knows too much. I so the it's a super fun Hurley moment, and what I feel honestly like there's some interesting stuff here with with the B plot of Naomi in the, in the jungle, but I do feel like it's a little bit of like you said before spinning our wheels at least from this capacity until that that final scene. But you know to to have us address what's going on immediately from from the end of Catch Twenty Two, of course needs to happen. Of course the way that these guys are differently handling things is really going to manifest itself later on as Desmond and Charlie in particular have very different feelings about the others i I forgot to make note of this uh last episode josh but it's gonna apply here obviously did you notice charlie's choice of outfit on the camping trip no he has like a white shirt like a off white shirt right so he has a white it's it's he does have an off-white shirt but it's less about that color and it's more about what's on it it is the Tree of Gondor is on his shirt. Hey, how about that? That's a which nice is very, little Easter yeah, egg. Which, you know, uh, Dominic Monaghan, uh, I'm trying to remember if Mary ends up visiting Gondor. I, I can't remember, but obviously a location affiliated with the Lord of the Rings franchise, and we know that Dominic Monaghan really broke big in, in that. So a nice little, you know, shout out to uh, where he came from. Yeah, very compelling, because uh, Billy Wallace is on that beach, and I wonder if he's triggered looking at that, uh, uh, the, the yeah. Horns of Gondor Yeah, that might be a thing where, like, he tries to take the Tree shirt uh, when, when Charlie's on his way to the Looking Glass All right, Station. Rich, you know? if you're listening, just put that in the book. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Let me push back a little bit on the idea that the B-plot is just sort of spinning the frozen donkey wheel. I, I agree with that in, 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 in theory, like, just like the written description, yeah. But I think that a lot of flavor comes from the interactions in this episode, both among the camping trip crew, within the, the camping trip crew, and also the ways in which they interact with Mikhail and the ways in which 
Mikhail draws things out of these people. I think that there is like a pressurized component to the B plot this week that I find fascinating. Um, I love seeing Charlie and Desmond at odds. I think that that is really compelling. And to see Charlie that in this moment, all of these weeks removed from killing Ethan is still really firmly on the side of like, we should not be letting these people live. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that that's fascinating to me about this guy who's at the end of his life effectively uh still having that opinion um it's a it's another look that's maybe a little problematic for desmond and i think the biggest issues that i have with desmond are the ways in which he's not accepting anybody's feedback uh yeah. in this like and, and uh, yeah, I, he's still continuing that mentality from cash Ray too. like you know penny wasn't the one in the parachute but he still has this mentality of like nope i i have this idea in my head and whatever says goes even if you know someone who has much more experience with the others is telling me that what i'm doing is not good. And I think what's fascinating about that is because of that fixation on his vision for what needs to happen in order for things to click moving forward. And I'm talking about not like his flash forward type of vision, right? Like I'm talking about literally like what he believes needs to happen in order to make this all work. Uh, mm-hmm. Like his instincts, his leadership instincts here, that his uh, strict adherence to that stuff is in at least there's an argument that he's getting Charlie killed in this episode, uh, that his actions are going to lead to Charlie's death directly after he has spent all of this time trying to prevent Charlie's death. He kind of seals Charlie's fate in this one. Um, so that's that's really compelling to me. Uh, Hurley's just hilarious in this episode. Uh, and then Jin is great. Jin is like, you guys, we can't speak the same language, but I see things that you aren't seeing, and I'm yeah. acting in ways that you guys are not ready to act, and I'm going to be a leader in my own right in this moment. This, so- this is the most Jensen-born that, that Jin has been. Like This is him really showing how, yeah, I was a hitman, I'll take someone down and kick their ass if I feel like they're up to no good. So I love it. I, I think for, for these four characters, all of whom I really like, I, I think like even the stuff about Desmond that I find unsavory in this episode is fascinating for him as a character. So I really like the character work in the B-plot. Um, I think Mikhail and like the, the stakes that he brings to it and the stakes of somebody who has arrived on the island who may be able to save them being on the cusp of death, I think that that activates like some unpleasant sides and at, at the very least like some friction within the group that I, I find super enjoyable to watch. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I see your points. I think just for me personally, again, after so like activated the previous episodes and the next episode will be with, you know, Charlie incidentally running into Jack and then now the entire group finding out about Naomi. It just felt a little bit like, OK, we need an episode to hold them in place. What are we going to do? And like you said, there's still, you know, conversations that I that I think are particularly interesting i just was not as riveted as i had been with the camping stuff both before and and after this it felt like after this big reveal that when it came to the literal elephant in the room of naomi whether due to injuries or plot convenience we don't really address it that much in the course of the episode when that really is like the huge thing you know we talked about how big of a deal her presence was last episode to sort of hold us in that place for an episode Again, we can understand the the episode uh, order here, how that one might have been a bit constricting with some of these episodes. And I I personally felt it here. Something something I wanted to to indicate, we talked before about how, you know, the writers at this point were obviously teeing up how they were looking for the series to possibly end. Naomi, the first language we hear her speak in this episode is Spanish. And the first thing she says is, estoy muriendo, meaning she's dying. Do you think at all, maybe this is me putting my own two and two together, could this be some sort of foreshadowing to Hurley being able to communicate with the dead? Mm. Uh, never thought about that before, but yeah, why not? 
Uh, yeah, why not? I think, I think it's, it, it could be a fun little fictionalized call out to the fact that even a few episodes from now, Hurley's going to we're going to be seeing Hurley yeah, I mean, being able to that communicate superpower with superpower is coming his way very soon. You know, yeah, exactly. He's, he's just a couple episodes removed from that. I like that. Um, all right, so let's get to another flashback here. Son's in the in her apartment. She's surrounded by boxes. Did they come from uh, a box company in Tunston, California, Mike? I don't know. I don't know how much Pake is like outsourcing his boxware. You know? I don't know. If so, I mean, Randy's rolling in it then. If like such a big conglomerate wants all of his boxes for his daughter's apartment. Uh, so Jin comes home. He's got dinner. They're looking at all these pictures. There's a picture of her in a cap and gown. Does, Jin has the line, even in a cap and gown, you're the sexiest woman I've ever seen. That's love, man. That's true love. Yeah, I mean, listen, none of us look good on graduation day, right? <laughs> like, graduation gowns are never form-fitting. We all look like we're wearing big, colorful potato sacks. Yeah. Like, I think to say that, wow, you look sexy, maybe he also, you know, talks about how uh, how attractive education is yeah. as well, considering where he comes from. That could also speak to his own proclivities. I just love that. I think that's great. I, lo- I love your Dumbledore cosplay. It's so sexy. Yeah. Uh, and so he has no pictures of his family. We didn't have a camera growing up, and... He says, and she's like, "When did your uh, when did your father die again?" Because uh, as we uh, we sort of uh, yada yada through, Jin's mom is like, "His his dad was a fisherman, and he's still alive, and blah blah blah." Uh, and Jin's like, "No, he's he died when I was in the army." Uh, and I guess I'd missed the, the the memo that Jin was in the army. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it might be something in Korea. Uh, I can't remember if it was like during that time or or maybe before. Where like there, I feel like he maybe made a reference to it of like enlisting in voluntary service. And I think there actually might have been like a picture of him in a previous flashback of like him in fatigues. Maybe there was there was a mention to it, but yeah, unfortunately, no running into like your Saeeds or your Sam Austins at all. Right. Uh, that could have been interesting, but uh, he doesn't want to talk about his dad. He starts to get upset, and so son's like, oh, where there's smoke, so... Well, I mean, she also flat out caught him in a lie, right? Yeah. Like, Jin's like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, he's like, oh, yeah, my dad, I uh, was in the army when my dad died. She's like, but you said you were young when your dad's like, yeah, well, I was al- also in the army as well. Eat your tofu soup, bye. Yeah, so that's that's uncomfy. Um, all right, back at the beach... Uh, there is some stuff going on as Sun has some questions. She's gonna, she's gonna ask some questions of her good old BFF, Kate Austin. Let's listen in on Kate and Sun. How's this? That's perfect. Thank you. What do you think happened to Jack while he was with the others? Since he's been back, he seems different. He says that he was pretty much a prisoner, and the only reason why he cooperated is because he thought they'd let him off the island. Do you believe him? Why wouldn't I? He came to me, asking about my pregnancy. Well, what would that have anything to do with what if? What if the others want my baby? He's been there alone for over a week. How do we know he isn't working with them? He's not working with them. Do you know something, Kate? It's Juliet. She was their doctor, their their fertility doctor, studying pregnant women. And 
When Claire was sick, she told me and Jack the reason the others wanted her baby was for research. I don't know what it is, Josh, about episodes featuring the staff and Kate reconnecting with her season one BFFs, but we are now two for two. Yeah, uh, so she's back at it again, but only for a little while. She's barely in the episode, really. Yeah, uh, she really is just merely the conduit right now to get Sun connected to that scene that we heard in the opening, which mm-hmm. is now she immediately makes a beeline for Juliet on the beach, a beach line. And then Juliet just very succinctly responds like, yep, the pregnant woman died. Yeah, you're going to die if you're pregnant here. Like, it ain't good. Uh, so, and I, do you get the sense that, uh, that she is finding out for the first time about Sun's pregnancy, especially like based on the recording at the end of the episode? Yeah, I would imagine so, which is interesting because I wonder, you would think that like Ben might have like had a track on that, right? I would not put it past Ben Linus if Abed style, he has like tracked the sexual habits of 815. Yeah, Um. so so he, she's, yeah, when she does the recording later, she, she's going to say Quan is pregnant uh, and she's also going to have the the update that like Jin uh, was, in, was uh, infertile before he got here Um. And given, like, all the stuff that they know about so many of these people, I feel like the Quans would actually be among the people that they could probably research the best. Yeah. Because uh, Sun is such yeah, a prominent she, figure. She gets her photo in the paper when she gets married. Yeah, I can imagine that. Like, she and Hurley are probably the top two, you know, most high-profile people on the island at that point. It's a, it's a good It's a good point that... You know, Juliet is either playing it really cool or for some reason the others just have a huge blind spot. I think that they got a blind spot, which is a, a little strange to me, but eh, whatever. It's fine. You know, uh, don't don't look at that. Let's keep talking about the episodes. Yeah. Yes. Or, or, or maybe it could just be that, you know, Juliet, uh, true to what she'll say later about wanting to give good news for once, had the information and just was withholding about it because she didn't want to give some the bad that, news. I think that takes away something from the Juliet storyline this week. I, th- I think like Juliet kind of like, putting herself out there right now for what's going on with sun um, feels, feels a little purer if she doesn't have that Intel. And I think also because like, clearly I, I really get the impression that her interaction with sun in this episode is, is the catalyst for why she's going to come clean to Jack. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I think like you don't really need much more than when she finishes the recording and says, I hate you off the record. Uh, to like get the sense that like she's really troubled by what it is she's been tasked right. to do. I mean, do this right is now. essentially the addendum to the end of one of us, right? right. Of, like she's doing it, but she doesn't feel good about it. She doesn't it. like it. She's like starting yeah. to waffle on it. A but I think that to your point, this is a big turning point for the character because Ben told her a couple of episodes ago, slash a long time ago, in the chronology of everything, you'll leave the island when your work is done. And theoretically, this is her work being done right now. And I can imagine after three years of just like essentially giving up hope, not only on leaving the island, but like having pregnant women die, to have your life's work involve people dying horrifically, that this is a glimmer of hope in so many ways that reignites a spark in this character that was long put out. All right, so uh, so J- Juliet's going to be like, yeah, so uh, pregnant pregnant ladies die here. I hope that you're not pregnant. Uh, so on the camping trip, Naomi is is speaking more languages. Uh, Jin clarifies she's speaking Chinese, not Korean. I don't know what she's talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I, I lost Pia to the translations. I believe this one is also along the lines of, like, I'm dying or help me, please. Yeah, um, so Desmond is starting to, like, freak out. Charlie's freaking out. They're freaking out at each other. Uh, trouble in paradise with uh, with Desmond and Charlie, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the island of the UK is not as uh, as beautifully simmering as, 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 as the Lost Island. It's not as unified as it looks. Uh, so, so that's going on, and then they're interrupted by the return of Mikhail, who is somehow 
still alive after we saw him get zapped by the fence. Although, again, as we uh, we discovered, we discussed, he still breathing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, still and breathing. so I do like how flare guns are now two for two in drawing the others. Whether it's Michael, please God, flare during Exodus that brought you know Tom Friendly to them, or now Hurley accidentally shooting the flare and bringing Mikhail to them. Like whatever you shoot a flare, the others are going to come no matter what. They know where you are now. Um, so Mikhail shows up, and we've got the sound for this. Where do we? Where are we starting? Are we starting with the fight so after the no, fight? No, so we're doing we're doing post Jin beatdown because it's just a lot of climactic music. But Great. Jin, so, well, then let's talk that through because yeah. like Mikhail shows up and he's like ooh, and then they're like. Hey, and then Mikhail books it, and everyone is like looking at each other, being like, "Uh, are we going to talk about?" It? And then Jin's like, "You guys are so dumb," and he sprints off after yep. Mikhail. Uh, he bolts after him. They get uh, Desmond, like then runs after Jin. Jin catches up with Mikhail in no time at all. It's a big fight scene. It's one of our. I, I, it's got to be one of the very best, if not the best, Jin fight scenes on the show. Oh yeah, well it's also very one sided, right? Like Mikhail isn't really necessarily taking many swings. It's just Jin leaping into action quite literally and busting up this man's ass for you know, the second time in several I think days. It's like, for me, it's like less demerits on Mikhail's fighting style and more like, wow, Jin, uh, because Mikhail like, has a few shots where like he almost like stabs Jin in the face with a tree branch at one point, but Jin is able to like get get a way in time um he pins Jin to a tree at a point but then Jin breaks free in incredible fashion he smacks Mikhail on the ears which must really hurt even more than Jin knows and then he roundhouse kicks him in the face we simply Mike do not have enough MVP points to award in this episode yeah uh, because if we so did much... like I would stack five on Jin right now but there are so many other MVP points that we have to consider it's it's a tough week for MVPs Jin would be an amazing bounty hunter. Like, yeah. hey, you, gotta, you gotta take this person. Like, I'm in for the Jin Delorean. I'm yeah. gonna, you know, I'm gonna travel around capturing people, roundhouse kicking their asses. Because Jin this is Jaren. Some, yeah, this, exactly. This is someone who uh, might have been, you know, he's part of the Soviet army. For all we know, might have actually been part of the KGB as well, considering how he's a bit of a scrapper, as we saw in Enter Seven Seven. Here's Jin able to, you know, slip out of of uh, times when he was on the ropes and get this guy up against a tree and in it you know despite the fact that this guy had a lead on them as well Jin's like a faster sprinter than Desmond or maybe even Kate Jin is at his height height of athleticism right now it this might very be that good. might very be that good. sperm Josh that sperm might have just infused him with like super soldier <laughs> strength yeah. what did they say is the five times the normal count and so he's just like I'm feeling myself yeah this uh, could be like a super soldier serum right yeah. it's like he's <laughs> he's oh just God. like lightning fast now super yeah. strong he's got that super sperm um all right so Jin knocks out uh, Mikhail, and now they're going to interrogate Mikhail. So let's listen in. Who are you? I said, who are you? He's the guy who shot Saeed. Kate told us he lived out in that station. Lock blew up. He's another. I thought Lock killed that guy with the electro fence thingy. You've got five seconds to talk. Why fire this gun, brother? That's a flare gun. And how do you think it'll feel? Taking a flare to the chest at this range. As your friend pointed out, I already died once this week. I owe to me. Still. Still what I do. You understand her? She's speaking Italian. She said she's dying. She needs help. I was a Soviet Army field medic. I can offer you my services. Wait, what are you doing? I'm saving up. 
This branch has punctured her lung. It's filling with blood. If it is not ventilated soon, she's going to die. We'll do it. Help her. If I fix her, you must let me walk away as if I never came upon you. What you need? So we got to stoke it. Here's the branch sticking out of the lung here, Josh. Could this indeed not be Mikhail Bakunin, <laughs> but the smoke monster? All right. Well, you got to be the one who leads us through this because this is your pet theory, Mike. And I I'm, I got to be honest. I'm not seeing it. Well, I think it's it's not that I you don't necessarily see it. I think it's just much more of a fun theory because what what does this what does the smoke monster want? He doesn't want the candidates on the island. The smoke monster very easily wants to get the candidates away from the island because that means that Jacob regains control and he is, you know, trapped here forevermore. Hey, here comes somebody parachuting in who happens to be bringing information from the outside world and could help get these candidates off the island or hell even killed. Ka-ching, ka-ching, here we are. And so maybe it's just a matter of the smoke monster wanting to inhabit someone like Mikhail, knowing that Charlie is, you know, has a thing about the others and Desmond does it. This might be the perfect wedge, to your point, to sort of make these two fight amongst themselves. And, you know, obviously when uh, Desmond puts the flare up against Mikhail, despite the blunt force trauma that Desmond was alluding to, you could say, well, he doesn't really have a he already died once or he like lost uh, his urgency for life when Miss Clue died. Or it could be the smoke monster being like, yeah, dude, go ahead and try to shoot me. I'm not going to die because I'm not a real person. And also the caveat of, hey, you've got to let me, you know, walk away if I help Naomi here. It might not be him covering up his secrecy tracks and more so like, yeah, you're going to have to let me walk away because I don't want to transform into a smoke monster and do this. This will be really awkward. I want to maintain the guise that there happens to be this unkillable other that you have to deal with now. So how does Jin beat the shit out of the smoke monster? I mean, how does Jack beat the shit out of John Locke? Well, when he beats the shit out of John Locke, John Locke, as, who's not John Locke, we're talking about the smoke monster at that point, um, the, the, the cork has been unplugged from the island, and now he is in like full-on physical form. He's physically vulnerable at that point. Are you saying that throughout season, the end of season five and the beginning of season six, like there was no physical harm done to the fl- the fake John Locke at all? He got he got stabbed in the chest by Saeed in season six, and it like he pulls the knife and is like, "Why would you do that?" Right. So what we're, what I'm saying is like, could we say as much as we're louding praise onto Jin? Could this be a sting? Could this be like a con almost to let himself get beat up slash captured slash subdued by the camping group to then insert himself into the situation? Yeah, but he's like sustaining actual damage, right? Like he's he's like actually getting like bloodied up a bit by the fight from Jin. Yeah, but like, I mean, when he was taking the form of Yemi, he allowed himself to be bloodied up as well. Like, Did he? he'd, I think he could take the form of anything that he wants to. We can add black eyes and stuff if he wants to. I don't know that I've seen him like get like bloodied up before. Uh, other than like if he's allowed to change himself cosmetically, I'm assuming he could add bu- bumps and cuts and bruises if he wants to. Um, so another thing here is if you look at the the candidates on the lighthouse and in the caves, one of the names is Dorrit. Uh, mm-hmm. So Dorrit, who is who is Naomi Dorrit, who is Naomi right here. So the the woman who has come here to the island potentially to rescue these people is a potential candidate. Why would the smoke monster save this person's life when by doing absolutely nothing, a candidate dies? 
I mean, you have to think about the larger picture of things. She's just one of many candidates. But I think more importantly, she serves as a way to get many more candidates off this island. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few in this case of like, yeah, I can let this candidate die. But this is also the closest in years that someone has come to possibly getting these people off the island. I'm going to go for this chance when I can. Plus, again, if he's trying to sow distrust and who's to say, like, I mean, for all we know, he he could have been lying about like, oh, yeah, she'll heal. Maybe he could have left her in critical condition anyway uh, through his through his uh, his medicine work. And then it just ended up backfiring on him. I don't know. Well, if he's also not allowed to, to kill the candidate, would him doing nothing be a manner of killing? No, because he didn't do anything to put Naomi in this situation other than lay like he lay his eyes on her. I don't know. Uh, man. Could the smoke monster have? Uh, we we asked last week what happened to the chopper. Could the smoke monster have gotten into it? <laughs> Mike, I got to tell you, I think that this is all a stretch. This is a stretch for me. Uh, I, I I think like revisiting this episode in the return of Mikhail here, it's hard for me to see why the man in black would go out of his way to do any of this stuff. I mean, uh, I would, and also I the fact that he gets punched in the face a lot, and he seems like he's like gargling up blood because when he's it's fun. Hit and stuff. It's much that's much more fun to me than here is this Rasputin like figure who like can never die. It's a fun running joke, but it feels like it stretches a little bit of the believability of the island for me. I think it's more fun if Smokey has not been involved really in the season whatsoever outside of the cost of living and a little bit of of, of left behind. I want to see him get involved a little bit more, and I do think the idea of rescue on this island is something that he is inherently interested in and i think this is a way into it why do i go along with this theory because it's fun josh why'd you go along with dave marrying time traveling libby because it's fun we do fun things on this podcast i'm not getting mad at you for having fun it sounds I just like you are i don't see it i just don't see it it's just i i, I don't see it. i think for for mikhail i think um mikhail is like a super tough like uh russian hard ass and uh, for whatever reason, he's able to like survive what happened to him at the at the sonar fence, uh, and that like he's the kind of guy that yeah, you could shoot him with a harpoon, but you know you really you you should have gone for the head. You I know? don't know. Like- <laughs> I mean, but but, that, but for that whatever reason, I'm filling in that for whatever reason. Whatever reason is because he's actually dead, and mm-hmm. and this is this is a again. I I think this is. For me, this is more appealing than just this is a regular guy, because if we're looking into the macro sense of the series, which is this chess game between these two larger figures on the island, we ha- we distinctly have not had that really this season. And I-, I think this is a way to have Lost Season 3 tie into that larger narrative in a way that's a bit outside the box. But I think it's, it's a good way to look at the character and look at what the man in black is-, is trying to do here. Yeah, his methods may be suspect, and arguably he does let a candidate survive. But what's to say he hasn't made mistakes before and will continue to make mistakes? Um, the, the, uh, the smoke monster, I think, pretty... I, I think that there's going to be some room for for uh, for interpretation on it. Um, maybe I don't know. I haven't revisited the episode in a, in a minute, but I'm really excited to. May, uh, the man behind the curtain uh, is what John Locke and, and Ben see, right? The 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 Jacob uh, situation mm-hmm. in um, in the cabin. Uh, I think is pretty clearly the smoke monster, at least for me. Uh, right. And that is going to, you know, continue to push the path of like Ben is going to eventually kill Locke and Locke is going to show back up. So uh, between that and like the echo thing, I do feel like the the monsters had some really big, mythically significant things that happened uh, in in season three of the show. Uh, with you know separating the Mikhail stuff out from it, but don't don't let me yuck your yum. I just, I just personally don't see it. But if if it makes it if it works for you, that's great. For for me, I'm just having a harder time picturing it. 
I don't know. I, I just have a lot of fun with it thinking about, you know, because we, you know, we just like actually going back to what Kate did of like smoke monster likes to fuck with people sometimes. And I think that this could be a fun way for the smoke monster to do so using the guise of someone who like this group of people don't really know about. Right. You know, Charlie saying like, oh, my God, he died. Honestly, I'd rather have this than the Andrew Divoff blooper make its way into canon. The Andrew Divoff blooper, where he's one? where he's clearly breathing when oh. he's passed out. <laughs> let's be completely yeah. let's be completely honest. It's a blooper. It's a flat yeah. out mistake. Yeah, it's that a mistake. Like, it's a mistake for sure. Yeah, so I'd rather have yeah. that than then have to then retcon like, oh, he was alive the entire time. I mean, I don't I don't know that like I need to see him breathing to be like uh, he was alive the whole time. Like I think I can uh, I can simultaneously accept that that was a goof. And that he is uh, still alive, and that like that's not canon that he was breathing there right in front of <laughs> right in front of Locke, who absolutely should have known. Uh, man, that's that's a funny point though. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, well let's let's keep going and, and keep hyping it up. The the further we get into it, I'm, I'm, got- I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try to keep stoking these flames yeah, here. Try to I'm build open. This I'm open. I just don't see it yet. I'm open. I just don't see it yet. So keep 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 trying. I'm totally open. Um, all right, so we, we go back. Let's get another flashback going. This is after Sun's on the beach. She's alone by a campfire and watching Claire laugh it up with Aaron and being like, oh, man, it's good oh, to have a baby. I'm never going to experience that. Yeah. Uh, and so in the flashback, she goes and she seeks out King Daddy Quan himself. Woo! Jin's father back in the house. And again, this is just another situation where it's like there are... Not enough MVP spots in this episode because uh, I just want to dunk five onto King Daddy Quan right I now. I know, and like he is just such Jin's a damn good person. It is interesting, as uh, you know, Sun has like a file photo of him. Was she using like the John Locke esque PIs to to find him or Maybe. In- internal files to find this guy? Yeah, no, I I I love it. Uh, she did a great job here. She's got a lot of resources. Uh, Sun has at her disposal. So good job, Sun. And it's just so great to see Jin's father back on the show, and he is he is lovelier than I remember. Mike. Well, yeah, well, especially this episode, he is going to prove that, like, whether past, present, or future, this is a good man down to his bones. Yes. Uh, well, let's listen to the good man. We've got a we've got a, a sound of this conversation between Jin's father and son. Uh, we will we will do the translation after the fact, but I think just to to hear it, just like to feel like the. The, the emotion in the voice I think is gonna is gonna be great. 감사합니다. 그래 결혼식은 잘 치렀겠지? 네 멋있었어요. 제 생에 가장 행복한 날이었거든요. 그래 그건 그놈도 그랬을 거다. 아버님 왜 저희 결혼식에는 오시지 않으셨어요? 그놈이 나에 대해서 뭐라고 하든 그 사람은 아버님이 돌아가셨다고 왜요? 자신의 과거가 부끄럽고 창피해서 그래서 아버님은 진수 씨가 어렸을 때 어머니가 돌아가셨다고 말씀하신 거예요? 그놈 애미 그 여자 남자가 많았어 그놈을 낳고 바로 떠나버려서 혼자서 내가 그놈을 키웠어 
내가 그놈의 애비인지도 확실치 않아 그렇지만 그 피덩이를 누가 키우겠어 정말 이쁘구나 내 아들이 사랑하는 여자를 만나게 되어 정말 기쁘구나 진수에게는 날 만났다거나 지 애미가 살아있다는 말은 절대 하지 않았으면 한다 절대로 이 늙은 일을 봐서라도 이 사실로 저게 자존심이 다치지 않았으면 해 I love it. I love the whole scene. You know, effectively, it's like he's catching up on like, how was the wedding? Tell me about the wedding. And he's like, why weren't you there? He's like, well, what did Jin tell you? He's like, your dad. He's like, yeah, you know, he's, it's not, it, don't blame him. It's the shame thing. Like, he's just so good. He's just yeah. such a good dad. I mean, to, to loosely quote Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy too, like, he may not be Jin's father, but he is his king daddy. Yeah, you know, the, for sure. That, that, I think, is honestly all you need to see to tell how good this guy is, where he admits, like, yeah, I mean, I might I'm not, not be I'm, the dad. I don't I'm know, not, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely his dad. I might not be the father, but I'm definitely his dad. I raised this kid. Yeah, and that's like, and then on top of that, you know, I think other people would be offended of like, oh my god, I can't believe he didn't say anything about me. But no, he is just super, uh, I don't know, super sincere, super humble about everything, saying like, yeah, it totally makes sense. Obviously, there's this whole theme of shame that gets brought into this, which I think is very societal, specifically in the in the Korean construct, and you can see how it you know, works on different levels, almost like from a parasite perspective, where it does work from Sun's level of, oh, you don't want Jin to know about this because it'll bring shame onto your house. But even it works in the reverse where, oh, you don't want to know that, you know, your his father was a poor finish fisherman because that also brings shame onto the character of Jin. It's, it's you know, the, the idea of everyone protecting Jin from this idea of, you know, living a worse life because of them. I think is a, is a very interesting concept as well, considering, like you said, Jin himself seems to be a very protective character on his own. To have other characters sort of reciprocate that back to him is a part of the equation that that I don't think we really got to, to talk over until this episode. Yeah, and I don't know. It's it's just great, and like the chemistry between him and and Yunjin Kim just really, really top notch. Makes you want to see uh, more of King Daddy Kwan on the show. I believe I know. this is it, right? Yeah, this this is it. We don't nah, hear from him. And it, there's that really subtle but like really cute move where he like wipes off his hands on his shirt before he like very gingerly touches her on her chin to admire. Because this is him meeting his daughter in law as well. He loves Jin more than anything in the world, and this is the woman who Jin loves more than anything in the world. So like he has so much appreciation. For her too, and really makes Sun feel like, damn it, you know, if my dad wasn't such a dick, like I'd want to adopt you as my father. Yeah. Oh God, he's just so, he's he's a great character. 
it's so rare to have like the uncomplicated like good person on the show and exactly. here he is like um, like who has no agenda right isn't being nice for for any uh, other type of motive outside of just wanting to be a good person in the world like completely by far the most altruistic character on lost far I love away him. i love him i love him so much uh in fact i love him so much mike that let's just take a quick break to just like savor how much we love jen's father and we'll be back in just a second with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's get ah. back into it, Mike. Uh, let's get back into the episode. We go back to the beach. Sun's sleeping. Juliet shows up. Classic other move to like wake you up with a hand to the mouth. Yeah, though it's also like, I don't know, maybe a little bit, a little intense for what they're going to do. Could have just been an, a nice ask, but, and it doesn't help that people are still a bit wary of her, specifically Sun. Sun seems to like have taken the, the torch from Saeed and Sawyer of just being super sus of Juliet in this moment. So it doesn't help when, a la someone like Claire, Juliet clamps her hand over Sun's mouth and says, like, come with me right now. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, so that doesn't work. That, that shouldn't work very well, but it does work here where Juliet's like, look, uh, if you come with me, maybe you got a shot. There may be hope for you yet, I believe is what she says. Come with me if you want to live. So they're, they're going to the staff. There's an ultrasound machine in there. And son's like, wait, wasn't it abandoned? And Juliet's like, yeah, they didn't know where to look. And not for nothing, in a, in a few scenes, they're going to be in the staff. And, uh, Juliet's just like going to go to a locker, open it up. And there's like a very obvious lever in, mm-hmm. in the, in the locker that she just like pulls. And it's like, if Kate, Claire, and Russo spent like, Five more minutes there. Yeah. Well, even Kate was the one that was in the locker room, right? That's where she saw the beers. Maybe she was so distracted <laughs> Retroactive by Retroactive Dar- LVP point to Kate. Austin. Yeah, but she was so distracted <laughs> by the Dharma Brain Spirit Gum that she didn't even look to the top group of lockers where, yeah, there was a secret hidden bookcase that leads to an entirely different room. But also on top of that, uh, there is the whole fact that, like, Jack and some people, and like, Saeed, like, maybe you guys should have scoped out the staff. You know, and, like, not just, like, taking the word for it that it's empty. And if, like, you believe that it's empty, then what's the risk of going and seeking it out and searching it a little bit further? Uh, so I a demerit to the entirety of 815, Mike. Maybe Jack's just like, I spend too much time in dark days. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with underground layers. You know yeah, what? How, many, how many chains are on the walls in the staff? That, in, that on, informs guys. whether or not I go or not. Come on, guys. Like, uh, I understand Jack has a bit of an excuse. He was kidnapped for a time. Uh, and but- to, to that point, actually, so going to the Jim Fells of it all, there's a sting that plays when they explore the staff later on. That played not only when Kate and Rousseau and Claire explored in uh, maternity leave, but also when Saeed explored the flame in Enter 7-7 and when Locke explored the swan in uh, in uh, a drift. So, yeah, like there's, it. it's a very clearly reverberating thing of, yeah, a lot of our characters like to explore Dharma stations. Just this this particular one was was quarantined for whatever reason by those three women who went there. So Juliet's going to tell Sun, like, I'm going to use the ultrasound to determine the DOC, the title of this episode, the date of conception. Uh, and if you uh, if you got pregnant on the island, you're in trouble. But if you got pregnant off the island, you are not in trouble. So when did you last have sex with your husband? And Sun's like, 
Hey, let's not talk about that. And, and right? I will say, throughout this entire thing, Juliet is broaching this in a bedside manner that Jack Shepard could only dream of. He could of. only dream of having, yeah. Like, yeah. Jack would be like, I'm sorry, you're going to die. Juliet but, is so soft and careful about it. And granted, she probably has had a lot of experience with it, considering that nine people have died on her watch on the island. But, like, even in this moment, Juliet isn't outright saying that Sun will die. She's saying, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Right. But but the problem here is that Juliet uh, comes without uh, comes with the context of being one of the others. Right. Right. Comes with the context of being somebody who has hurt these people before. Uh, so for for son to like really buy in on Juliet right away, she's going to need to see a little bit more than just bedside manner, which she does, of course. Um Flashback time. Uh, son is, uh, she needs that 100K because Jin's father was like, yeah, spare him the shame. So she's like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to spare yeah. him the shame. And I need the, the money. So she walks in on Mr. Pig having a conversation with several employees. And actually, if you translate the Korean, it's a really interesting thing. The employee says, we haven't received the forged conveyance permit yet, Mr. Chairman. And Pig responds, I heard the Hanso Foundation is filled with anger at the fact that our side didn't offer the equipment. Hmm. Yeah, so a bit of a linking. You know, you have talked before about yeah. how one of your regrets with losses that they didn't link Pake too much with the Winmore stuff. Here's a bit of a link to the Hanso Foundation. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think uh, Pake secretly being tied into this more, certainly it's something I would explore in Lost too, Mike. Yeah, I mean, especially here, if there's involvement with the Hanso Foundation, like maybe some of that stuff on the island uh, was made via like 70s era Pake Corporation. Gion in the Pake industry is a very important piece of Lost 2. Uh, I very, think so. Very critical, critical component of the, the sequel to Lost. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that at some point in the far future, uh, hopefully. Um, but Sun comes and she's like, I need the, I need the money. And Mr. Pake's like, all right. Uh, you know, you, you can't do this no questions asked, even though that's what you want to do. You, this is a world where questions get asked. I still, like, I still like how he has, just in his little safe behind him, just $100,000 of spare change. What an incredible life, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, oh, you need hundred k. Well, let me just, like, wheel around in my chair and open <laughs> this safe and just very casually take out some fat stacks of cash. Yeah, I mean, that might have been a, a bit of a brag on Pake's part. He's like, just, actually, son, just so you know, that's mostly, like, newspaper clippings. I actually uh-huh. have 100000 in the bank over there. I just bring this out to really, uh, you know, prop myself up at, as a big guy. But son is sort of showing shades of where, what we'll see her as uh, in, I believe, the, you know, ha- uh, happily, not happily ever after, uh, No Place Like Home when, he, uh, when she approaches Widmore of, like, hard businesswoman son when she essentially does like a quid pro quo here of hey i know you want no questions asked uh, just so you know like i have not been blind to all the shady crap you've been doing my yeah. entire life if you want to give me the money i'll make sure i don't rat you out at all father yeah and he's like you know i appreciate what you're going for here uh but it's uh not quite enough not quite enough i'm gonna ask some questions it's pretty clear that this is for Jin. Uh, and so Jin's going to be, since this is for Jin, he's going to bear the debt. He's going to work for me directly now. So this is uh, a big piece of why Jin becomes a hitman for Mr. Pig. To that point, though, and I had this thought while watching the episode, how comparable is Jin's situation to this Desmond-esque idea of the path? This idea of, of a, almost a scenario you cannot escape because Sun in trying to do all this and pay off his mother is trying to have him escape shame. 
But he almost ends up in an equally, if not more so, shameful situation with all of this dirty work and literal blunt on his hands that he does as, as Mr. Pig's Yeah, it's bitch. a tragedy, Mike. You yeah, know? So, it, so it's this idea of, again, of you can try to change the, the course of events that are in front of you, but usually things are going to work their way back to sort of a, a core Final central conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I just think it's, it's, like you said, very tragic and, and very interesting in that regard, and that, like, she accidentally conscripts him to doing probably much worse things than if they just found out that his mom was a prostitute. 100%. Uh, so let's go to Jin. He's in the jungle in the night watching as Mikhail is uh, trying to figure out what to do uh, with Naomi. Uh, and he's like, what does she have? And he's like, well, she's got this fancy radio phone. He's like, mm, fancy radio phone. Mm, okay, my pocket's looking very big right now. Yeah, and Hurley's like, Count Jacula? Uh, and Hurley's <laughs> like, I don't know about that. Yeah, uh, and then not- also a, f- a fun little thing of like tr- like non-lying Hurley where he immediately fesses up to the sat phone and uh, Mikhail's like, does it work? And Hurley goes, no, but I wouldn't tell you. Wouldn't like tell really you trying does. to recover from that slip up. So funny. Uh, so Mikhail is going to perform field surgery. He punctures her lung. He pops a needle. It's very gooey, very, very it's, gross, and very sudden, too. Yeah, very um, visceral. I think not since the days of, like, the, the stuff going on with Boone have we really seen this much gore on Lost. See, I'm loving all this stuff with the Mikhail stuff and what he's pulling out of this group. And I think, like, even let, let's open it up to your interpretation of the man in black. So if mm-hmm. this were the man in black, this is the kind of shit that the man in black does do. Like, he yeah. inspires, like, mistrust and, 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 and engenders suspicion within a crew. And so there's just, like, this, this feeling of tension that is happening here. Uh, within this group. Uh, yeah, like, let, let's talk about the Portuguese for a second to that point, because Naomi next moves into her setting, moves her language setting and moves into Portuguese. Mikhail claims that Naomi said, thank you for helping me. But actually, if you do the literal translation of the Portuguese, she says, I am not alone. Uh, and so this is, again, Desmond and Charlie are going to give him sort of leery looks when he claims that. And they have every right to be, because this is when Naomi is going to start re- to reveal what we find out in the ending here. Basically, Naomi uh, is is saying that she is not alone. Mikhail's claiming that that's, you know, she did not say that whatsoever. You could look at what that reasoning is. Again, it may be recurring to the man in black of it all. Uh, maybe he wants to, again, create more chaos with the idea that more people are coming and they don't want to necessarily arm the candidates in anticipation for them. But definitely getting some some seedy looks from even someone like Desmond, who's like, oh, OK, maybe I shouldn't be as trusting to you as I thought, even though you're pretty good with the hypo here. If it's if it's just Mikhail and it, it's it's just him straight up and it's just this guy, like I think that this is another thing where it's like he is just like this person who you can never ever trust. Uh, he's just like a constant liar. He's just like he's he's totally of the Benjamin Linus school of thought. Uh, that that is his guy. That like he is very loyal to Ben to a fault, and that's because like he and Ben do things the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like he hears the phone. Let's put a pin in that. Uh, he hears what Na- Naomi is saying. Let's put a pin in that as well. And when we see Mikhail next, I believe in uh, in the very next episode. Uh, it's either the next episode or the one after that. He's going to, you know, tell Ben, you know, there's some shit going down. Like there are some, uh, there's some, there's some people coming here because he's got this intel. Right. Uh, so this is very important stuff for him as it relates to Ben Linus. That like we've got a problem, sir. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I think it might be Man Behind the Curtain in which he 
appears next. Yeah, so we have, we have, we'll have an episode off from Mikhail because I think I know that John Locke has to kick the shit out of him. Uh, so that's either going to happen in the brig or that's going to happen in the Man Behind the Curtain because after the Man Behind the Curtain, we're done with John Locke effectively for the season, except for one or two scenes. Right, exactly. See, so yeah, I believe it. I believe that happens in the Man Behind the Curtain. Then he's off to the Looking Glass. Off to the Looking Glass. All right, so uh, let's go back to what's going on with Sun and Juliet as they reach the staff. Uh, and it is like, again, to the, to the credit of Fred Toy, it has huge future Westworld vibes, right? Like mm-hmm. you can really see where some of that Westworld work goes. Uh, if, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's episode six of Westworld, uh, is the one that I'm thinking of that has this really big moment at the end of the episode that this feels very evocative of. For me. Yeah, like luckily nobody gets their head smashed against a wall in this. No one. head smashing that occurs, but like it feels like a horror movie. Like you can yeah. you expect like a xenomorph to be rounding the corner at any moment. It's just really effectively shot. I think it's it's one of the the most um successfully rendered creepy settings on Lost in a good little while. Yeah, and I think that it also speaks to again the callback to maternity leave, which in and of itself was like a pretty horror slash thriller themed episode, especially with how eerie uh the the you know second version i will say of of the staff was but juliet regarding it like it's just her daily business shows again how at this moment the others are so separate from 815 that they look down a a spooky forest and see nothing but horror and dread and this one's like yeah it's just another tuesday yeah uh, so we've got a sound here. Where are we starting? Or Sun and Jen are going to start talking. Uh, Sun and Juliet are going to start yeah, talking. Yeah, so, so this is after they they do some establishing shots, like you said. And Sun is finally going to ask Juliet why she is so adamant about helping her out here. And Juliet, to your point earlier, is going to come clean about how this might be a bit of a, a beneficial storyline for her as well. Why are you doing this? What? Helping me. Once upon a time, I told women that they were pregnant and their faces, it was the best news they ever got in their entire life. And I came here. I've lost nine patients in the last three years. I'm helping you because I want to tell you that you and your husband got pregnant before you came here. I'm helping you because I want to give good news again. I slept with another man. Oh, before we got to the island. Jin and I, we were having trouble. We weren't. And I had a friend. It was a mistake. We all make mistakes. Which way? 
Can I just say, I think actually one of the underrated elements of this episode, I really like this Sun-Juliet pairing. Yeah! I mean, I think both Yunjin Kim and Elizabeth Mitchell are uh, really top shelf in this episode. Yeah. Uh, like, they they both have stuff going on in this episode where they just really work it. Because this is obviously a hugely important episode for Sun. She's going to make first contact with GE on, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she's going to see the heartbeat. Um, and for Juliet, like, there is both, like, uh, once again, like the cause for concern, but also the fact that like she has um, given good news to a to a woman who understands the stakes even um, and like maybe for the first time, like feels like kind of normal to an extent. But also that's contrasted against the fact that she has this hidden agenda that she's right. starting to feel worse about. Um, I think it's a great episode for both of these characters. Yeah, it's just, it's so captivating because these are two characters. And also, you know, this is actually talked about in the loss on location. And we spoke about this a bit in Left Behind that there, especially in like seasons two and three, there are not as many scenes like featuring only female characters. That's why maternity leave was, was such an interesting episode as well is because for, for some reason or another, the, the character composition does not necessarily fall to that configuration. And I like this here because these are also two women who have their own convictions who are capable of duplicity in their own right. And I think Sun sort of sees eye to eye here with Julia, which is why she eventually does come clean with her sex history and says like, hey, just so you know, I'll answer the question that you asked before. This is what happened. And Juliet simultaneously sees eye to eye back by saying like, everyone makes mistakes. She's very non-judgmental. Now look, part of that may be informed with the fact that she was carrying on with a married man prior to him being uh, sent off to, to go hang with the tailies. But it's such like a, a unique interaction between these characters that, to be quite candid, I think is usually forgotten about. Because, obviously, with the whole thing with the Oceanic Six, Sun and Juliet are not going to spend any time together, really. I've, I can't remember how much of Season 4 they really spent together, but, you know, once Sun leaves the island, she's not going to see Juliet again. Because Juliet dies back in the 70s. So, right. it's like a really interesting moment of two ships passing in the night. They acknowledge each other and then keep moving in their separate directions. Really good point. Really, really, really good point. Um, they dig in deeper. Juliet takes them to the secret room. This is where the ladies died. This is where all the moms were taken to die. Yeah, and I, I did like, cause she did try to play it off initially by Sun saying, why it's room in? And she goes, don't worry about it. And then it's very clear that Sun's like, no, 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 no. You brought me into creepy, uh, you know, anti-chamber. You must tell me what it's for. Yeah, uh, so we'll we'll dig into that a little bit more in just a moment. Back at the camping crew, uh, Mikhail's like, oh, Naomi's gonna be fine. You just punctured her lung. Yeah, she'll be fine. Yeah, Give her a eventually day. Air will get in there. <laughs> day and a half. Uh, so Mikhail wants to be let go. He's like, Desmond, remember what you said. And Charlie's like, are you actually going to let him go? And Desmond's like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, like, what did you think I was going to do? Like, actually shoot him in the head with a flare gun? Kind of, you know, maybe thought that you were going to do that. Yeah, and Desmond's like, uh, oh, we don't have enough people to make a stretcher and take care of prisoners. It's like, dude, if only you had met the tailies. Cause they- I was going to say, like, these guys, like, it takes them, like, a, a night to, to build a stretcher. The tailies did that, and literally, like, they had, like, five, ten minutes. Again, say what you want to about Anna Lucia, but she had what was left she- of the tailies whipped into shape. Yeah, she knew how to how to, how to crack a, a whip and get these guys going on, on stretcher detail. Uh, the stretcher detail on this crew it's really leaving something to be desired but charlie's really upset about this uh we can't keep letting these people go uh and and he's still gonna let him go and then uh Jin runs after mikhail yeah. and desmond's like what are you doing 
And Jin, uh, you know, catches up to him and he grabs the phone from Mikhail and he looks at Desmond. He's like, I'm getting the phone, dude. Uh, like, none of you, you guys are too busy, like, bickering, like, be looking at this situation at all. This guy just tried to steal our phone. Yeah, and it turns out that he did, and then Mikhail just simply responds with, you know, like, ain't I a stinker? How could you respect me if I didn't do it? Um, why, if he's the smoke monster, does he take the phone? Again, to, like, help steer the, the chaos a bit. If, if they're trying to debate, like, if he sees that Charlie and Desmond are arguing, taking the phone could get Charlie even angrier at Desmond. And that just further puts a huge line between them. Uh, should he, if he's the smoke monster and he takes the phone, should he just get into smoke monster shape and disappear so he doesn't get caught with the phone? I mean, that could also be, that's, that's an interesting point as well. Maybe he was actually like taken and subdued by Jin. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how much he was taken by surprise in this manner, if this was all part of the plan. Yeah. Uh, so he gets the phone back from maybe him. Maybe he's not allowed to hold uh, inanimate objects once he turns <laughs> but, to smoky form. But he does. He has it in his pocket. Yeah, but I mean, like, if if he does, he like, can't does, hold it with his hands. No, or like, does if he does turn to smoke, like if the smoke monster was whole, had like a sandwich in his pocket and then mm. turned to smoke, does the sandwich also turn to smoke? No, he probably has to like destroy or drop the sandwich. And yeah, so like you know maybe he could destroy or drop the phone. What if he put instead put like the phone in like Desmond's bag or something? You know, yeah. like to really uh, be like the whole Pete per, Pete uh, yeah, yeah from he plans the fake Philippines. Idol. Yeah, yeah, fake phone, fake phone. Uh, That'd be Desmond's- interesting if he swapped the phone out for for a fake sapphire. Imagine yeah. like through the looking glass. Like, Blackberry. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna call the the freighter, and it's just like, wait, these are stickers. Who replaced the phone? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Desmond is gonna still let Mikhail go. Uh, we gave we gave our word, Charlie. Uh, he lets him go, and in so doing, Desmond kills Charlie. Yeah, I mean, essentially... That's an interpretation, at least. Like, I mean, you know, I, I, he lets yeah. this man go. This guy's going to blow up a hand grenade outside of the looking glass. Uh, Charlie does lock the door, so Charlie makes the choice. He could probably get out of there in time. Um, but, you know, if not for this decision, none of that happens. Why? So let's talk about Desmond's POV here. Why do you think he is so, like, dead set on... All right, I had my word, so I'll let him go. Is it that honor thing, or was it you mentioned before about like how okay, I have this specific path for how you know I see Claire leaving in the helicopter, and the only way that happens is if we let Mikhail go. Yeah, I don't think he sees it yet. Like, I don't think that this is something that he sees right now. Is it something that he's going to? Is that going to be an aspect of his flash forwards later? I would guess not. Um, he- but I don't know. I don't know. But in in doing any of this, Mike. Uh, this is very bad news for Charlie. I mean, you would think that Desmond sees a Dharma Initiative uniform on this guy. Like, I would not be surprised if he was the one pulling a gin and, like, farkasing this guy. Like, oh, my God, I hate the Dharma Initiative. Are you another inman? Do I have to beat your head well, against the rocks again? It's a good point. Like, why doesn't he ask him, are you him? Yeah, what exactly. one snowman like, say to the other snowman? Yeah, exactly. And Mikhail, I mean, would have responded with in fair. And then maybe that would complicate things further with Desmond of, like, oh, Okay, what does this mean then? You know, this th- now I'm sort of torn between what I was, uh, what I was sort of a part of three years of my life, and now this like new group of people that are telling me one thing. He's got such tunnel vision on on Penny that he's not really being nearly as curious about Mikhail as I think that he should be. Agreed. And I don't know if I want to assign that to such tunnel vision about Penny or. Uh, the, the less charitable thing is that, like, this is just sort of like a poorly written Desmond uh, yeah. uh, bit. Um, either way, I don't think it's especially flattering. Uh, no. and, I, and I think we are running into uh, another episode here where uh, y- your boy Desmond is, is looking a little grim uh, on the show. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, the most 
perfect character we've had so far, besides King Daddy Kwan, takes a hit last episode, and I think it's safe to say that streak may continue this episode. Uh, all right, so back at the staff, Sun is going to tell Juliet about Jin and how he's infertile. Uh, and Juliet's like, oh, well, that shouldn't be an issue. Because uh, here on the island, uh, the, the sperm count gets magnified by like five times. So he's he's probably going to be all right. And Jun does point out, like, essentially I'm in a lose-lose situation right now. Because either I'm going to die or this baby isn't Jin's. Which, again, speaks again to sort of like Jin's lose-lose situation in the flashbacks of, like, either he's the son of a prostitute or he has to now be a, a hitman. That both of the Quans, unfortunately, at least in the moment from their perspective, find themselves in, like, inescapable misery, as it were. Uh, in the flashback, before we start going into the scanning... Uh, Juliet, uh, not Juliet, Jin is going to find that moolah, uh, mm-hmm. a smooth 100K in the... Per- son, what are you doing with all yeah, this, this cash? Is a, this, is a bad, uh, this is a bad look for Sun to just leave it in her purse as, like, Jin is just, you know, especially when she says, oh, yeah, get this out of my purse, and she realizes it after the fact, but, like... Jin is very hurt by this because he takes it as, you know, she tries to cover it by being like, oh, I thought we could afford more furniture and a nice honeymoon. And that still hurts Jin, obviously less so than, hey, your mother was a prostitute and abandoned you. But also basically telling him like, yeah, I know that you said that like you'd help make money for us, but also I went behind your back to get money from my dad. Yeah. So it's kind of like, hey, uh, you know, just give it some time. I'll make enough money. We'll have a sweet honeymoon. And there's a piece of it that's like, just let Sun pay for the honeymoon, man. Just let her do it. Right, she can but, do but, it. She yeah. wants to do it. But this is uh, also, like, speaks to the tragedy that comes with these these quad yeah. flashbacks, right? Of, like, unfortunately, yeah. societal standards and men being the breadwinners. But, yeah, I agree. Like, listen, I, I am, do not care whatsoever if it is on my wife's dime or not. Like, I'm going to take advantage of a nice vacation if I can have one. Yeah, send me away. That sounds great. I love it. Uh, uh, but then we get the, uh, I love you madly. Uh, they never really say this to each other again. It's like it kind of just exists in this episode, right? As yeah. far as I can tell. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, again, that white flower from House of the Rising Sun when he brought it with him to the airport. I don't think they really tell, it's not really a catchphrase that carried over. Maybe that's Well, I would have of- liked it if it was in the final scene of the two of them, right? Yeah. What if they said, I love you, and she says madly, and he says madly, and then they, the hands. Oh, I believe they they probably did, but, but it was actually like, I love you. Oh, God. Oh, too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Still too soon. We'll be getting that in it from a from a while now, but Still too I, I soon. Mean, it's a really sweet but like so mournful line of "I will always take care of you, son," because you can feel that in the pit of her heart of like he is just so sweet seeming in this moment when she knows just like and she hasn't even done the affair yet yet she's still doing stuff behind his back without him knowing. Uh, so let's go back to the island, back to the staff. Yeah, uh, we've got the sound to play here, and uh, yeah, remarkable scene coming up. <laughs> There it is. There's your baby. You see? I can see it. <laughs> is it a boy or a girl? Oh, it's it's a little early. <laughs> but um Do you see that little flutter? <laughs> That's the heart beating. <laughs> Very strong, it's very healthy. Okay. You crashed here 90 days ago. The baby was conceived about eight weeks ago. So around 53 days. 
got pregnant on the island. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, son. I will do everything that I can. Now, Mike, did I mishear that or did she say, it's Jim's? Yeah, and then Jim Halper comes in like, whoops. It's Jim's. It's Chef Jim's. Oh, no. Well, that's Chef, that's <laughs> Chef Jeff. Chef Jin's. Chef Jin's. Oh, um, it's just such an incredible scene. Yunjin Kim! Yeah, Yunjin Kim, Kim kills it in this scene. Just like the turn from a sadness to happiness in her performance, the simplicity yet complexity of it's Jin's. Like, I mean, listening to, just even listening to the the ultrasound and like her reaction and Juliet's reaction as well to the baby being alive, like really, I mean, it brought back a lot of sense memories for me. Uh, when my wife was pregnant and like just there is something about like actually seeing and hearing your baby that that really like connects with you on just almost like a, a subhuman level. And you can feel that that son's feeling that here that it almost doesn't matter that she now has an expiration date, according to Juliet. Right. Like right now she's living in this moment. She's living with the happiness that not only does she actually have a baby, but that it is her husband's that all of the guilt and anxiety that she has had ever since she found out that she was pregnant all the way back a season ago, I think, uh, to the episode in The Whole Truth. All of this now has dissipated away, and it's a weight lifted off her shoulders. And granted, it's going to be another different weight put on her shoulders, but at the moment she feels weightless, and you hear that and see that so much in her performance. It's so lovely. I love it. I love it so much. A great moment for for both uh, Yunjin Kim and Elizabeth Mitchell here as Son and Juliet. Uh, really, really spectacular scene. Uh, one of one of the the best scenes uh, of the episode. Certainly, I think one of the best uh, ep- uh, scenes from a from a sun. From I was going to say. I know, I know we talked episode. about uh, Jin's Mountain Rushmore last week. I think we had to put this on the Sun Mountain Rushmore this week. It's just it's just great. I think Yunjin Kim is just such an expressive actor. I think like she does some things. She makes some choices that uh, really really sits with you. Uh, and like I. When when you think of like some of like the the best emotional moments of of lost, uh, like maybe maybe like um, her screaming on the chopper at the end of season four is mm-hmm. really readily going to come to mind, and it's a shame if this one doesn't come to your mind either because this is a really really beautiful moment. And, le- uh, and let's also really marinate in this moment because finally, Josh, finally we can put to rest the Jay Lee. Whose baby is yeah, this storyline? Thank he's you, gone. Juliet. We have finally put that thing to bed. So that's done. Um, in the flashback, uh, final flashback of the episode, Sun's going to fork over the money to, to Jin's mom. And what I noticed was I couldn't, I don't know if it's the same location as when Jin and Sun met each other. Um, when we saw an ooh and found, but it, looks- it is effectively because I believe that that is just like the same spot in Honolulu that they keep. Yeah, filming she in. said that same bridge. But I, I, uh, I love that whether you know, uh, whether actually meant to do it or not, it, it feels very poetic, right? In that, like, this is where Sun met Jin, and this is the place that she goes back to is to essentially protect Jin. For some reason, she keeps coming back to this specific location. Yeah, she has a badass line to Jin's mom. Uh, it says, you know how powerful my family is. My husband thinks you're dead. Don't make me make that a reality. 
sick burn. Um, yeah, I mean, she has to get her digs in a little bit. She did just get $100,000. So it's like, hey, you know what? You're not going to get that without like getting a bit of a talking to from me. So that's the end. That's the end for, for that character. Um, meanwhile, back at the staff, uh, this is where, where Sun is starting to like maybe contemplate a little bit more what everything means. So she's got about... Uh, two more months because she's uh, which is fine. That's like three more lost seasons considering you know, how quickly yeah. these things go. So she's like, okay, cool. So I can be here for a minute. Uh, so she's very happy that the baby is Jin's. You gave me good news, Juliet. Uh, so Juliet and Son uh, tensions have have thawed for now. I think like once uh, the recording comes up, that might not be great. Um, but for the time being, they're on the same page, and Juliet's like, all right, well, I just gotta. I just got to go back in. I just got I got to do a thing real yeah, quick. Yeah, at least she didn't pull a Paolo and was like, I'm going to the bathroom. I have to use the bathroom real quick. So she goes back into the staff and uh, leaves a message for Benjamin Linus. Ben, it's 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. Quan is pregnant. The fetus is healthy and was conceived on island with her husband. He was sterile before they got here. I'm still working on getting samples from the other women. I should have Austin's soon. I'll report back when I know more. I hate you. Oh, crap. Is this still recording? Uh, uh, yeah. April shit, Fools. Shit. Delete, delete. Uh, <laughs> hang up. Start over. Uh, yeah, we should erase, isolate. erase. <laughs> we should isolate Juliet's I hate you to just like bust that out every time we see something terrible on Lost. Yeah, or, or just forward. like uh, to like demarcate the LVPs from the MVPs. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it also bothered me on the rewatch and then hearing it now. Uh, ben, it's 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. Well, that's what the a.m. is. Why do you have to tell us it's Saturday morning, too? I was also intrigued that it was 6 a.m. Like, I guess I don't know how early or late Juliet woke up because it was in the dark when they went to the staff. I don't know how long they spent there, but it's 6 a.m. People are just getting up to eat their, their Dharma cereal by the time that they came back. Ben, it's 6 o'clock on Saturday morning. How about how about that? Yeah, maybe she's sort of trying to be like the uh, the time temperature forecast person. Uh, you know, on, on like you know, whenever the the clock turns like six or seven on the hour on some of these news channels, they just sort of give it to him right there. I also remember at the time the specific mention of like I'm going to get Austin's sample soon. I remember there was a lot of conversation now being pushed of like, wait a minute, could Kate be pregnant now? And then we get into like, wait, we just we made our way out of one pregnancy drama, Josh, into another possible whose baby is this drama if indeed Kate is pregnant. I think that they lean into this in a way that makes the future Aaron reveal pretty shocking. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're they're setting I don't I don't know if this is deliberately to set that up or if that's just something that they they realize is hanging there that they can use. Um, but either way, it sets that up. Uh, whether that's intentional or not, you can you can debate. Um, all right, so let's close out the episode. We go back to the camping trip. They've made the stretcher. The tailies are laughing in their grave right now. Uh, like it took you it took you a whole day, huh? Uh, we you know say what you will about us, but we made good stretchers. Uh, Desmond and Charlie are still arguing. Desmond has the the shot at Charlie that uh, by my count, you've killed more of them than they've killed of you. Yeah, but also if we're using the collective you, uh, he doesn't necessarily know about you know Goodwin breaking Nathan's neck or a bunch of other people dying. Yeah, but, uh, you know it's 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 complicated. Also, man. they do you know kidnap children. <laughs> Some stuff that's not so great. Uh, so that's happening with Desmond and Charlie, and then the episode ends. 
with this great moment with Hurley that is the basis of one of the great Hurley gifts on the internet. Bob? <coughs> Where am I? Take it easy. You just hit a giant branch. Where am I? I don't know. You're on an island. Are you here to rescue us? Are there more of you? Can you make your phone work? Who are you? Hugo Reyes. I crashed here on Oceanic Flight 815. A bunch of us survived. Is that why you're here? Were you looking for us? 815? Flight 815? The one from Sydney? Yeah. Oh, that's not possible. Yeah, I know. It wasn't easy, but we found food. No. And the hatch. No, Flight 815, they... They found the plane. There were no survivors. fact they were confirmed dead as we'll confirmed talk about dead. in like five weeks from now i love it i love the what yeah i love that both the first act break and the final act break was like built to music hurley saying one word and then cut to the commercial mom uh, yeah that's dad? really good yeah <laughs> dad yeah so yeah, essentially it's a shame we- that we don't have this uh typed out the mom because that'd be it that'd be a great yeah, this, is, this is the text-to-speech version of, of uh-huh. the ending of what kate did Mom, uh, so that's good. That's imagine great. imagine oh. if Carmen Reyes did pick up. That'd be the trippier ending. Uh, that'd watch. be amazing. That'd be great. Uh, all right, so everyone's dead. Yes. So it's like, oh God, what does this mean? And this was like another big talking point for the week off. Right. Uh, exactly. Of like this woman's. I don't know who she is, but she knows Desmond, and she's bringing in information, including that apparently. Everyone on flight 815 is dead. Now, this also brought in, like, not necessarily, like, this is completely true, but, like, could this be Naomi lying? I mean, it turns out that she was telling the truth. It's just more so that this was something that was hidden. It's complicated. It's very, it's complicated, complicated, but I think it definitely brought question marks not only for the status of 815, but for the status of this new character, Naomi, as well. I like it. I think it's a great stinger for the episode, and it's once again advancing the Naomi mystery. So, uh, as we're just kind of, like, barreling towards the end game of the season, I think, uh, I think it's re- it's really really fun stuff. Um, let's get into some feedback, Mike. This is from Stefan Johnson, who writes, "And do you think that Jin and Son have more exciting flashbacks throughout the series than their on island stories? Where do you stand with that, Mike? As the as the big Jin Son stand on the podcast? I mean, so if I'm going through, because again, we're sort of like a moratorium on outright regular Quan flashbacks here. I think House of the Rising Sun and Ooh in translation are incredibly fantastic flashbacks, uh, especially doing the whole Rashomon method of showing Jin side of things as we see Sun watch his transformation. I think are are beautifully done and shows again how like the poetic lack of communication between them. Uh, despite wanting to protect each other, has led to this moment. I think Uwen Found has really cute, it's a cute flashback. It's not necessarily as weighty as those two, but this is their sort of, uh, their, when they met each other and where they were. I mean, we, we talked about how, like, the I'm not a big fan of the Jay Lee stuff, so the, whole, the whole truth and the glass ballerina, I'm, act, I'm really not actually big fans of. And I think this was fine enough you know i think if we do wait their flashbacks maybe compared to like all characters 
maybe they're a bit above replacement level, but I would not necessarily say that like every flashback Quan scene that we get is fantastic. They start off incredibly strong and there's some very solid stuff in there, but I would not necessarily say it's like as low as some of the Jack and Kate and Locke stuff, but also maybe not as like consistently high as the Desmond stuff. Uh, the Ben behind the curtain says it's the insinuation in this episode that Sun always knew what Jin would end up doing and was responsible for it. And if so, how do you feel about this in the context of the rest of her story? Right. So as Josh alluded to in the final scene, Sun makes this this threat to Jin's mom of like, you know what my family can do, essentially like threatening to off her if she she comes back and, and does anything like this again, which would then imply if she knows what her father is up to, doesn't she think that Jin is now uh, a part of this? I don't know. Maybe she really does like think the best for her father and think that maybe when he was making that offer to have Jin pay the debt, that it wasn't necessarily that he would become a hitman because maybe that's also like a personal insult to her of like you have you make your son-in-law, my husband, have to do your dirty work. Maybe she was she was naive about that because otherwise, yeah, then it, it maybe is a little bit incongruous to like how much she is so confused and freaks out over when he comes home with blood on his hands, considering that in, in theory she would know what the job description is. Yeah, she sees him come home with blood on his hands and says, ooh, did I do that? Exactly. Oh, son Urkel. <laughs> did not have that on the bingo card coming into this episode. Uh, Eric Divestein, uh comes in and says, how do you think things would have played out if Sun hadn't given in to the blackmail? If Jin and Sun could have made it through the fallout of the truth coming out, I think they would have been better off in the long term. The truth coming out. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good point because... You would say that obviously it's all about shame and social status, right? But I also believe, speaking of shame and social status, I don't know how common divorce is in Korea, especially at that time. So, like, you would think on paper, Paik would be like, God, this is terrible. You must divorce my daughter. But I think that would make it almost even worse for him from a public perception standing. So I really don't know outside of, like, Paik really having even more disregard for Jin than he did before this moment, you know, it certainly wouldn't have led to Jin becoming his hitman, that's for sure. Probably not, unless after the fact. It's like, the only way is if you let him become my hitman. Right, so, so, be, so it's, yeah. again, it's leading towards the same path, but this, so it, this way it would have to be like Jin making his decision, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that would have worked. Uh, and then from Ryan Stanley, one more. Uh, how much did the DOC ending feed into the they're all dead conspiracies at the time, and what were your feelings on it feeding um, like Hurley at the beginning of Dave slash everybody hates Hugo. They were yeah, I think it was it was it was pretty you know it's fuel for that fire. For yeah, sure. and I'm actually speaking of Dave, much like Dave was sort of like an underlining slash lampshading of the whole theory of oh it's all in somebody's head. This is very much I can imagine a bit of a tongue in cheek reference to the they were dead the whole time theory. Yeah, I think so, but they're playing with fire here for sure. You know, there's there's no question about yeah, that. And I, I mean, think, uh, my feelings at the time were like I think on paper now in retrospect you'd be like they would not put that big of a twist in you know the sixth episode from the finale but again look at something like lockdown for instance where the huge twist of henry gale being other or two for the road where two characters get killed by michael didn't happen at the end of the season or the penultimate episode so lost has shown up to this point that it does not matter where you lie in the episode order we're gonna drop crazy twists into this show so i was not necessarily thinking well this is clearly not right i was ready to believe it episode order be damned we're ready to believe you. Uh, tell me about the Jim Fells uh, music analysis this week, Mike. So outside of that one little sting of exploring the hatches, uh, Sun and Jim's theme pops up seven times in this episode. Should have been eight. Should have been eight. Uh, and 
Yeah, and and so that was that was basically it's some callbacks to like uh like a, a freighter stuff when Naomi comes in since obviously that's what she represents, but largely just a bunch of callbacks to previous instances, which makes sense because this episode does feel like the follow up to a lot of previous storylines plus the the new edition of Naomi. Let's get in to the MVP LVPs. Mike, I've got three MVPs. You've got three LVPs. Let's just get him back on the board, right? Jin's dad, come on down. I'm going to throw an MVP point on Jin's father. I'll throw another one on there as well. And unfortunately, yeah, only two at this point. I forgot how many we gave to him for ooh in translation. I think he got a bigger share there. But yeah, we have to acknowledge KDK here, especially in his finale episode. Just such a good, such a good I character, w- such a good man. I wish that I could throw them all his way. Uh, I really, really do. But I have to, with my other two MVP points, I have to give one to Jin and I have to give one to Sun. Uh, because I would also like to give five to Jin uh, for his effective beatdown of Mikhail and being the only one who is still level-headed enough to be like, the phone, you idiot! Yeah. Uh, so Jin just does great work here and also is like, hey, Sun, give the money back. We don't need that. So he's advocating for himself really well no, this, this week. No, this, yeah, this is a good Jin episode. Granted, again, he's a bit out of the loop, but that's not particularly his. His fault. He's acting out of the best intentions of his heart, and he's onto things as you're talking about. And then I got to give one to Sun, uh, largely because Yunjin Kim absolutely kills it here. But I, I just I love Sun in this episode so so much. I love like the the turnaround she does on Juliet. I love the way that she internalizes and processes the news about Jin and her baby, and getting to see that heartbeat for the first time. Uh, I love the way that she throws it back at Jin's mom. I mm-hmm. love that scene with Jin's dad. This is an excellent Sun episode, just for the, for the Quans writ large. Uh, yeah. Uh, really, really, really strong episode. So to that point, because I know Stefan Johnson brought it up a bit in the Discord. Do you dock Sun any, obviously not from an LVP perspective, but in general for letting Juliet go back into the staff on her own? Um, I think that she's got a lot going on right now, right? Like, I think she's got a lot. And what's she going to do? She's like, I'm not letting you go back in there by yourself. Like, what kind of power does she have over Juliet in this moment? I mean, yeah, I, I would agree. I think also, like, again, if you're looking at the, the bigger spectrum of things, I would think it's more of a wash. Uh, she does some great things. Like, yes, that might be a bigger mistake in that, you know, had she not done that, Juliet doesn't send the message. But at the same time, I think it's a much different situation than somebody we're about to get into. But let me actually finish up the MVPs really quickly by speaking of Juliet. I'm going to give her a point here uh, because she's able to get that happy ending. She's able to give the good news. And also, again, thank you, Juliet, for finally putting an end to this whose baby is this storyline. Definitely one of my least favorite Quan storylines in Lost history. So I'm very happy it's at an end now. All right, so let's go into the LVPs and let's just get into it because you're talking about Desmond. Yeah, so uh, so Desmond, I'm going to throw a point on here. Uh, I know, and, you, I'm, and I'm coming with you. Yeah, so you're coming with. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that it's just not a great look for Desmond. Yes, I know that like Sun, he does let another go here. Why are we letting Sun off the hook but not Desmond? Because Sun does more good stuff in this episode than bad. Well, also Desmond's got a flare gun. Yeah, uh, so he still has the ability to, to hold one over on Mikhail. He also has a gin. Uh, which he could unleash yeah, and, on and Mikhail also, at any point in time. Desmond sees that Mikhail, like in front of his own eyes, is undercutting him. Right? He He's- broke the he broke the terms. He broke the deal. And not only that, they they are they are letting the medic go on his word that she will be fine in a day. So the terms should be like you're sticking around until we know that she's going to round the corner here. Yeah, I think it's in- completely impractical 
to he really he does a terrible job as the leader of this group. Yeah, it's I just think it's, I think it's completely impractical for him to not take Mikhail hostage. I know he was not there with Kate and Saeed and Locke when they did it in Enter Seven Seven, but it's much more manageable to do than I think Desmond was letting on. You know, to have a prisoner and, and have a stretcher. It's a position Mikhail has been in before. Like it could very easily be done. I'm not sure why Desmond's insistence in this episode is that they, he does indeed need to let him go, even if, to your point, Mikhail breaks his promise. But We don't need to kill this man. That's not something that – no one's asking you to kill this guy except maybe Charlie. Uh, but, like, keep him prisoner. Yeah, keep him, him prisoner back. and just make sure that Charlie doesn't get his hands on the flare gun. That's all you and, need to and, do. And, you know, cross-check his stories with Juliet's, right? Like, this could be very good for the camp and the whole situation right now. Right, um, and, now, so, and now you have an extra piece of ammo, too, in that Juliet – Claim she was left behind. Here's a guy who c- can't say the same thing. Like, now you have a different piece of, of ammunition you can use against the others. And then I'm just going to say right now that the, the other three points between you and I are being thrown on Jim's mom. Definitely of course. one of the worst characters we have come into contact with in quite some time. Yeah, uh, but, you know, she's in there very briefly, and uh, I, I think that I, I don't want to let the Desmond thing go. Uh, especially because he's such a great character that I'm, in the rare moments where, like, they're, they're losing, the, they're taking their eye off the prize of Desmond. Uh, I do think it is it is worth uh, a moment of meditation. Um, let's talk about the rankings for DOC. So I said before that I think that this is my favorite of the Quan flashbacks so far. I hold to that after this conversation. I think that there's a lot of fun stuff in here. I think it's it's very tense in the right ways. Uh, the Mikhail fight scene with Jin is a really great scene. There's just excellent acting showcases in this one. Um, it's upping the stakes of they're all dead. Like I think that this is this is a this is a really good episode of Lost, um, and it's it's uh, it's going to get a 3.6 from me, which is the same that I gave, I believe, House of the Rising Sun. And, so I'm not and, gonna, and in translation as well. And so I'm not going to boost it past either of those because uh, I, I don't know. It's it's certainly not as classic uh, right. as House of the Rising Sun, I don't think. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have like, when I get away from this one again, am I going to, am I going to forget it again? (laughs) You know, like, are they going to have to re up the fee? I don't know. Um, so I, I think for that, that's what's keeping me from like putting it past House of the Rising Sun. Mm -hmm. And if anything, I think like if you put a gun to my head in the, or a flare gun gun to my head, yeah. (laughs) In the future and said you can watch DOC or you can watch House of the Rising Sun. I would probably pick House of the Rising Sun mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, what in, in isolation, I think that I would just want to check out like a classic season one episode. Um, but I don't know. I think I, I cannot tell which one is better. I can tell which one I enjoyed more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now that's DOC. But I think that it is probably of the same quality as House of the Rising Sun. So I'm, I'm just going to keep it at the same score, give it a 3.6. So I'm going to go to a 3.4, which is actually comparable to another Quan episode, uh, Ooh and Found, which I actually feel pretty like on the same level with. I think these are both episodes that, you know, do important things with the Jin and Sun characters i think more than meets the eye like i remember uwen found like oh yeah this is the episode where sun loses her wedding ring it's not really a storyline much talked about much like here i think even the stuff in the jungle with mikhail showing up i think in the grand scheme of things is sort of a blip on the radar but i think there is surprising strength contained within those episodes i don't think it necessarily supersedes the strength of house of the rising sun or uwen translation which i feel like even outside of the quan centric stuff has a lot of other great stuff going on around it really super stuff that that pushes those things up but i feel like it's solid in general you know looking at these past few episodes with one of us 
Catch-22 and now DOC, they've all gotten like 3.4s or 3.5s out of me. I feel like it's a very consistent group mm-hmm. of episodes. And so I also and I also like DOC probably on the same level as I do, like a One of Us, which is admittedly a bit of a sloppier episode, but I think gives me so much emotion and character stake behind it as well. Uh, and it, our audience split the difference here. They gave an average of 3.5, and I think... Really, we got like spanning the threes with DOC as low as a three, uh, two, as low as a 2.8, and then as high as a 3.9. So that's going to average out overall to a 3.49. And that's going to put it 18 episodes so far, smack dab in the middle, number 10 for DOC, right below Enter 77, right above I do. Okay, so that's where we're landing with DOC. Now, we are about to launch into some territory that I think is going to shake up these rankings significantly. Um, and yeah, I would say, you know, this is at number 10 right now. Be prepared for basically... That's going, ev- be prepared. I mean, I'll yes. say basically prepare for everything below uh, below A Tale of Two Cities, maybe even Trisha Tanaka, maybe even the cost of living to get pushed down from here on out with the next four to come. I'm going to be really interested to see where that's going because our, our, top, our top of the episodes right now for season three are flashes before your eyes... Uh, the man from Tallahassee, the cost of living, Trisha Tanaka is dead. Those are the top four. We've got four more coming. And Mike, this is all the way back in, was it Numbers? Uh, oh yeah, when we, we talked talk- about the strongest lo- streak of lost episodes. I believe that's correct. And so here we are. We're at that moment, Mike. We've uh, About a year later, we have reached Yeah, that because moment. that was when we were sort of uh, pushing through recording mm-hmm. all those episodes. And so much like we were, I was going on vacation. Remember those? Remember vacations? Uh, yeah. I mean, remember my, vacations? When you were going to your own Asian country, not Korea. Yes. But uh, much yeah. as we were sort of barreling down there from a production perspective, we were barreling down at season three. And I mean, this, the break is such a huge episode for so many reasons. First, we're getting our own on-island flashback version of John Locke. We're finally getting the questions answered of what the hell was Locke doing ever since we had that Anthony Cooper thing happen in The Man from Tallahassee. I think we're going to have a lot more to say on the point we made a few weeks ago about how this is a very spotty Locke season in the appearances and focus that he gets. But I mean, this is a giant Sawyer episode massive we've been tracking this character specifically in season three going from prisoner on hydra island to trying to uh you know have this this kindling of a romance with kate to becoming the foisted upon leader and ingratiating himself in with the group and now he faces his worst demon and we see what he does with it it's a sublime it's it's a sublime episode that i have loved ever since it came out and also you know as much as we talked about how much of a big deal the whole anthony um the whole uh the whole christian shepherd showing up in par avion was to actually have the is anthony cooper the og sawyer confirmed was a massive thing massive deal massive deal massive deal and i can't wait for that moment i just i love the uh, when he's reading off, yeah, when he's like sounding names. off all of his names, Tom Sawyer. Uh, so I'm I'm so pumped. It's going to be such a great episode to talk about. I mean, I've, I've been saying this for a while now, but like the next few episodes are going to be perfect. Four point two is for me. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, the brig through uh, through the looking glass is all going to be four point two. It might even extend to the beginning of the end. I was going to say like to the four point threes. I don't think we could do that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. It might go to the, you know, the the season four premiere is a great episode, too. Uh, So we're in a really, really prime stretch of Lost right now. Uh, Four more episodes of season three starting next week. Get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also tweet at us at postshowrecaps at Ron Howard. 
at a Mike Bloom type. You can join the Discord by signing up patreon.com slash postshow recaps. Let me give you two reasons why you might want to do that. Reason number I one. I thought you show your fists when you did that. Uh, reason number one. <laughs> one, two. two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what are the names of my fists? This is, uh, this is, uh, this is Charlie. This is Hurley. Uh, <laughs> sign up patreon.com slash postshow recaps. Here's what's going on in the Discord. Uh, one is before you get a down the hatch podcast, I have started taking to writing out my, I'm, I'm watching the episodes and basically like live blogging mm-hmm. the episodes as I'm watching them because I write up my notes so that I can have them handy for the podcast. So you can kind of get like a little bit of a glimpse of what the podcast might be like by reading my notes from the episode. That's happening live on like Mondays, Tuesdays before we watch the episode. So a worthy reason to check it out. Some people have really enjoyed that. I've enjoyed doing it. Uh, it's a little bonus down the hatch content that you get if you are a member of the Discord. Um, we are also doing a book club, uh, Benjamin Linus and Juliet Burke style <laughs> in the Discord, in the Poster Recaps patron Discord. And the first book that we are reading is... Watership Down. Oh, it's happening. Finally. It's t- happening. Taking care of your own personal tasks through the Discord. It's, I love it. It's happening. You know, we were trying to figure out what's the first book going to be, and we're still working on figuring out, like, what's the first official book going to be, and I floated out as, like, a book zero. Uh, why don't we do uh, Watership Down? I've been meaning to read this for a minute, and it's a book that I'm going to, you know, need to read eventually, so <laughs> why don't we all go on this journey? And so we're going to do that. We're going to have a live uh, book club conversation about it in the Discord on December 13th, so you have until December 13th to read Watership Down. Uh, so think about it. Sign up. It's the beginning of the month right now. It's early on in December. Um, by signing up, you're supporting podcasters like myself, mm-hmm. Mike, all of the people who are responsible for the great content that you listen to on Posture Recaps and, and if you're a fan of Posture Recaps. It's the beginning of the month as well, so you're really going to usually get charged at the beginning of the month for this, so you're really getting uh, your your money's due. And we're also approaching month number three of the Posture Recaps Patreon we're as well. We're in it. This is month number three. You know, we're there right now. Uh, this is also uh, we're 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 looking to to get a thousand patrons by the end of 2020 in order to make the full on community rewatch podcast happen. We're not supremely optimistic about hitting that number, but hey, you can give it a shot. We want to give good news, people. You know, we want to give good news. So think about it. If you've been on the fence at all, now is like the absolute best time to do it. If you are, uh, if you are flirting with the idea at all, the Discord has been my happy place. Mm-hmm. I know we talk about it a ton. It's being talked about very often because it is really, really fun in there, and there's lots of great people, lots of incredible down the hatch discourse uh, in the Discord. So strong recommend. Check that out. Mike Bloom, you're 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 sprinting towards the end of the amazing race right mm-hmm. now of Red RHAP. Yeah, unlike the sprinting that I should actually be training for. But yeah, we are in the final few weeks of that, so that we'll, we will see uh, how that finishes. Uh, we've also got over here on Posture Recaps, I, of course, am covering Star Trek Discovery with Jessica Lease as we are nearing, I think, the final few episodes for that. And Josh, I'm, I'm going to switch franchises for a hot second this week as I'm going to be pinch hitting for you on yes. The Mandalorian recap this week yeah so mike's gonna be filling in for me on mando uh over at the mandalorian podcast so get ready for that gonna be a really fun time lots of great times can, here. can someone please photoshop uh son's ultrasound and put baby yoda in there instead of Gion? Uh, he's got a name sir i'm not gonna spoil it because it's still too soon but he does have a name now. um all right we will be back next week talking about the brig until then everybody take care bye-bye I don't hate you.